And the Lord said, I will wipe this human race I have created from the face of the earth. Yes, I will destroy every living thing. All the people, the large animals, the small animals that scurry on the ground, and even the birds in the sky, I am sorry I ever made them. God said this was a mistake. I'm done with this. But Noah found favor with the Lord. And you should be very, very grateful. There was one man who found God's favor in this story. Because although God regretted it, and he looked around and he was grieved at what he saw, he saw one individual, and he thought, okay, maybe I can work with that. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on the earth at the time. The only blameless person living on the earth at the time. And he walked in close fellowship with God. Noah was the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And now God saw that the earth had become corrupt and was filled with violence. And God observed all this corruption in the world for everyone on earth was corrupt. And so God said to Noah, I have decided to destroy all living creatures, for they have filled the earth with violence. Yes, I will wipe them out along with all of the earth. Now pay attention to this. God has just told Noah, I'm done. We're going the nuclear option. I'm destroying everything. I'm going to start over. Build a large boat. Build a large boat out of cypress wood and then waterproof it with tar inside and out and then construct decks and stalls throughout its interior and make that boat 450 feet long. Make it 75 feet wide and 45 feet high. we pause for a moment? I don't know what's going on and don't need to, but collectively as a church body, can we just pray? For Brother Wang, needs a touch in his body right now. Heavenly Father, as we come before you, we pray in the name of Jesus, and we ask that you would touch Brother Wayne's body right now. In the name of Jesus, whatever is wrong with this man, we ask that you would touch him, and we pray that you bring a healing to his body. We rebuke anything that would be coming against him. We pray that you bring him strength right now. In the name of Jesus, let your anointing flow from the top of his head down to the bottom of his feet. We rebuke anything that would be coming against him and seek to distract him right now. Bring strength to his body today. That's it, church. Keep praying for a moment longer. We ask that you would touch him. In Jesus' name, bring strength to him right now. Touch him today, Jesus. Hallelujah. Yes, Jesus, strengthen him, Lord. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, hallelujah. Hallelujah. How many of you are capable of walking and chewing gum at the same time? All right, we can do more than one thing at once. So I want you to attempt to listen to me and at the same time just continue to be mindful and pray for our brother. And we can do more than one thing. Amen? All right, so Brother Wayne, our prayers are with you, and we'll continue to pray for you. So God tells Noah to do something rather unusual. He says, I'm going to wipe everything out, and I want you to build a boat. 
Okay, we're thinking boat. 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high. Leave an 18-inch opening below the roof all the way around the boat. Put a door on its side and then build three decks inside that boat. Lower, middle, and upper. Look, I am about to cover the earth with a flood that will destroy every living thing that breathes. Everything on the earth will die. But I will confirm my covenant with you. And so enter that boat, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring a pair of every kind of animal, a male and a female, into the boat with you to keep them alive during the flood. Pairs of every kind of bird and every kind of animal and every kind of small animal that scurries along the ground, they will come to you to be kept alive and be sure to take on board enough food for your family and all of the animals. This story sound familiar? Probably, again, all of us have heard this before. And we learned it, many of us, as a child in some sort of Sunday school lesson about Noah and the ark. And a lot of us, at least growing up, probably grew up with some kind of image like this. Like this, this cute little toddler Sunday school. You've seen toys like this, right? You can probably find a Fisher-Price ark that floats in your bathtub, and it may have a hippo and a giraffe. On a different note, I don't know why, but I think every single cartoon image I have ever seen of Noah always has a giraffe sticking up out of the top. Like all the other animals can vary, but there's got to be a giraffe. It's like this unspoken rule of Noah cartoon illustrations. That one's free. I don't know why, but just thought I'd point that out. So a lot of times we associate this kind of image with what we think of what God asked Noah to do. Noah, build a boat. Put animals in it. Isn't that cute? It's also ridiculous because that's not even close to what God asked this man to do. This is probably more likely what God asked Noah to do. Let me give you some general dimensions. 75 feet wide is about the width of this building from edge to edge. So you're talking a boat this wide as this sanctuary. 40 feet, 45 feet high is per the elder who tells me it's 34 feet to the very apex of that roof. So add another 11 feet. In other words, if you're looking from the floor up to that clock, so add that much distance on top of the apex of this building. So we're talking about a boat as wide as this building and 11 feet higher than the apex of our roof. And that's not even the most impressive dimension. 450 feet, 150 yards, that's a football field plus another half. Let me give you an easier way to demonstrate that. That's the length of this property. When you walk out of here today, look at the tree line right behind this building, and then turn around and look all the way to Salem Church Road. That's 150 yards. Now put this in context of an ancient world with no tractors, no cranes, no power equipment, no, nothing. And God comes to Noah and says, I'm done. This is it. I'm starting over. I'm wiping everything out. But I like you, Noah. So since I like you, I'm going to give you an opportunity to live. And here's how we're going to do this. I'm going to enact my rescue plan. And I want you to build a boat. And Noah's probably thinking at this point, okay, got it, boat. I'm going to cover the earth in water. You build a boat, and you're going to be safe. I got it. Okay. 
I want it 75 feet wide, 45 feet high, 450 feet long. Yeah, <laughs> get right on that. <laughs> by the way, Noah, you're building this by hand. There's no Home Depot. There's no power tools. There's no lumber yard. You understand that Noah and his family felled a forest. They then shaped this wood into lumber. A boat this size doesn't stand up by itself. They had to build scaffolding or something around it as they constructed it. This was a massive project. This is a project on the scale of something that we can't really even wrap our heads around. Let's give him the benefit of the doubt and say that Noah was able to hire a whole crew of workers to help him. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. Even if there was an entire crew of people helping him build this, this project was decades long. God did not assign Noah a weekend warrior project. He called him into a lifetime of work. He said, Noah, you're now in the boat building business. And this is going to take you a long time. And it's going to take all of your resources. And it's going to take all of your effort. And it's going to take all of your energy. It's probably going to take all of your money. And you're going to do this for years and years and years and years and years and years and years to come. But if you do this... I'll save you. I got another picture to show you. Right now, today, I have not been there, but you can go to Williamsburg, Kentucky, and there is something called the Ark Encounter, and there is an organization that has built a full-scale replica of the Ark, and you can go see that on a family vacation sometime if you want to get some idea of just how absolutely massive this is. Again, I have not been there, but I did find this a little amusing. I was reading about it, and this picture struck me as interesting because that gives you some scale, again, in a modern representation of what this is. But what do you see? Massive cranes. There's tractors everywhere. I was flipping through. There's lots of construction workers and there's all kinds of other things going on. And we look at this and this is a modern marvel, by the way. I mean, this is quite the building structure. Now, you do this with an axe and a hammer and a shovel, and a chisel. This is nuts. God didn't say, Noah, I want you to build an ark, and some cute little animals are going to come to you. By the way, there will be a giraffe. I guarantee it. No. He asked Noah to undertake something that was on a scale that we can't even wrap our heads around. Here's another little detail. I'll just throw this in here. He said, when you build this ark, pitch, in other words, cover the entire thing in, in pitch, which would have been made from trees, and you put them in a kiln of sorts, and you heat it up, you don't let it catch fire, and it drains that heat, causes all the sap and everything else to run out of that lumber, and then you collect that, and you heat it up, and then it turns it into a pitch or a tar that you can then put on wood, and it will waterproof it. So he tells him to build a structure this large 
And then he says, paint the entire thing inside and out with pitch to waterproof it. Then build decks inside it. Then build walls inside it. Then gather enough provisions for animals of every kind plus your family. Then I'll send you the animals. This was probably decades and decades worth of work. We don't know exactly how long it took him. Genesis chapter 5 says Noah's 500. Genesis chapter 7, at the beginning of it, tells us that Noah was 600 when the flood started. Somewhere between the age of 500 and 600, God spoke to him and told him to do this. And for decades and decades and decades, Noah and his family, maybe a construction crew helped him, it doesn't matter for the point of what I'm telling you. He worked, and 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 he probably spent all his money, and it took all of his time, and this absolutely consumed Noah. This took all of his resources. It took all of his money. It took all of his time and all of his energy. And why am I pointing this out? Because the story of Noah illustrates a scriptural principle to us. Ark building takes commitment. It takes serious commitment. God looked at the world and he was very disappointed by what he saw. In fact, the scripture says he was grieved. It broke his heart. God was sorry he made humanity. God looked around at creation and said, this was a mistake. I'm sorry, I did this. I'm going to destroy everything. But Noah found favor in God's eyes. As God looked over the earth, he found one man representing one family, and he said, I can work with that. And he says, Noah, we're done. I'm starting over. But I like you, so I'm going to save you. Here's the good news. I have a plan to save you. And God enacts the Noah rescue plan. Here's the next part, Noah. You're going to spend the next 50, 60, 70, 80 years in the construction business getting ready for me to rescue you. Ark building takes serious, serious commitment. But what price is worth saving your family? See, here's the thing. At this point, Noah is faced with a conflict. God has enough faith in Noah that he tells him what he's going to do. I'm going to destroy everything, but I like you, so here's an opportunity for you to be rescued. And I will tell you how to be rescued. Understand the instructions I just read you, that's a summary. This is Genesis giving us the basic details of the account. I am sure that God gave Noah more instruction than just what we read. And so God gives him a detailed plan, and it's massive. I mean, it's on a scale that we can't even imagine. How many of you have ever chopped down a tree? I mean, chopped down a tree, not a chainsaw, chopped down a tree. It's a lot of work. It is a huge amount of work to chop down a tree. How many of you want to fell a forest with an ax? It's a massive amount of work, what God has asked Noah and his family to do. But if he does it, God will save him. 
If he does it, his wife and his sons and their wives will get to live. So now Noah has a choice to make. I can either look at this and go, I don't know, God, that's a lot of work. I mean, that's a pretty high price. You've basically asked me to stop everything else I'm doing and change my life and just do this from now on. I don't know if I want to commit to that level of involvement. Here's the other option. You can die. There was no between. God said, I'm going to destroy everything, but I will save you if you will do what I ask you to do. And by the way, Noah, the cost is very high, and it's going to take you a long time, and you're going to have to be totally and completely committed to it. See, that lack of commitment, we don't see that with Noah. But many of us, now talking on the spiritual side, we, we sometimes choose to live in that gray zone. God pulls on our heart and he wants us to do something. And we realize, you know what, the cost may be a little higher than I want to pay. That might get uncomfortable. I don't know if I want to do that, God. And that's a miserable, miserable place to live. It's much harder to not commit and live in that wobbly gray area than it is to go all in. We see this principle repeated over and over and over in Scripture. I'll give you another example. This time we're going to jump forward to the story of Elijah. And in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 21, Elijah is standing there rebuking the nation of Israel. This is that famous Mount Carmel meltdown. And he's about to do his thing with 450 prophets of Baal. And they're going to build their little altar and try to call down fire from heaven. And he, by himself, is going to build a basic stone and earth altar and ask his God. And before they start this competition, there's a massive crowd of people standing around waiting for the show. What's going to happen? Is it going to be Baal or is it going to be this Yahweh? And the prophet of God stands there rebuking the nation and he stood in front of them and said, how much longer will you waver hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord, Yahweh, is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people were completely silent. And we know as you read the rest of the story later, if you'd like to, in 1 Kings chapter 18, even though Elijah demonstrates that God is the one and only true God, the people still don't really commit. And so they waver back and forward. And you don't have to read much farther into their history when God says, you know what, I'm done. We're going the nuclear option again. I'm just going to wipe out your nation and send you off into captivity because you won't commit. I told you what you needed to do to be saved. I gave you very clear instructions. I gave you a rescue plan. But you don't want to do it because it's too much work. So I'll send you away. And if we're not careful, we can overlook cutesy Sunday school stories. Noah, ark, boat, got it. There's a giraffe in there. And it goes to the back of our mind. And we remember this cute story we learned as a child. And we miss the incredible significance of what God actually asked him to do. What kind of massive level of commitment Noah had to be willing to give in order to carry out God's rescue plan. But it saved his family. 
Not committing is hard and miserable. But again, I ask, what price is worth saving our family? God gives us instruction, and that's the good news. When we read the story of Genesis, even in that summary little account, God has some very specific instructions. What I don't read in Scripture is that God says, you know what, I'm going to flood the earth, I'm done with this, we're starting over. Noah, build a boat and put lots of animals in it. No, he told him exactly what he expected. It needs to be this long. It needs to be this wide. It needs to be this high. Here's the ventilation that you need to put around the roof line. Here's how many levels to put inside. Here's how you're going to waterproof it. Here's where I want you to build walls inside and make stalls for the animals. You, by the way, make sure you got enough provisions. This is going to be a long journey, not just for you, not just for your family, but for all those animals as well. And again, we've got a summary, but even that summary is detailed. God told Noah exactly what he needed to do to save his family. And the good news for us today is that God does the same thing for us. He gives us the instruction we need. He doesn't leave us wandering around going, yeah, you're in a bad place. I hope you figure that out. <laughs> good luck. That's not what we see in Scripture. God loves us very much. And so he gives us a rescue plan. And he gives us instruction, and he tells us how we can find salvation. But it does cost something. It's not true when you hear people talk about, and I think I get what they're trying to say when they talk about this free gift of salvation. Salvation was not free. It was very, very expensive. And the King Eternal stepped into our story, and he was willing to die in our place so that way we could find salvation. Brothers and sisters, it was not free. It was the most expensive transaction that ever happened in the history of humanity. And that same God has every right to look at us and say, I offer this to you and I will give you a way to be saved. But you have to pay a cost too. I expect you to be obedient to what I've asked you to do. Scripture doesn't contain a lot of optional items. Now, we live in a world and in a culture where you can find many churches who will give you a bare-bones minimum commitment of what you've got to do, and then all the other stuff is extra, and it's optional, like it's, you know, flavors of frosting you can pick on your cake, whether or not you want to obey this or that part of Scripture. But that's not true. That's not scripturally accurate. What we see in Scripture is God says, I will save you, and I love you very much, and I have a plan to rescue you, but you have to listen to what I tell you to do. And he expects obedience. We see this theme repeated over and over and over through Scripture, where God tells the nation of Israel, if you love me, you'll be obedient to what I've asked you to do. We see this theme repeated again repeatedly in the New Testament. In the Gospels, this is just one example. This is probably the most direct example. In John chapter 14, verse 15, as Jesus speaks to the crowds, he says, if you love me, come to church twice a week. If you love me, be sure to pray every day. If you love me, tithe, give money in the offering. There's nothing wrong with any of these things. But that's not what he says. He says, if you love me, obey my commandments. It wasn't a suggestion. 
It was a directive. And God made a way for us to be saved. And he doesn't leave us in the dark. Just like he gave Noah specific instructions as to what he needed to do to be saved, God has given us specific instructions so we know how to find salvation. We do not have to wander through this life alone and in the dark and lost. If we want to find salvation, God has made a way for us. And let me drive home one more point before I get ready to bring this to a close. It's easy for us who have been in church for a long time to look at this and to think, yes, Brother Desi, we're with you. Got it. We need to repent. We know we need to be baptized in Jesus' name. God needs to fill us with his Holy Spirit. And yes, those are requirements of salvation. That's part of the rescue plan that God has enacted. But that's not all that he requires. That's the beginning of a relationship. That's the beginning of a journey as we walk with God. And it's an important step. And if you have not been baptized in Jesus' name, and if you have not fulfilled what we refer to as the new birth experience, then please come and talk to me or anyone on this pastoral staff. We'd be happy to talk to you about it. But here's one more thing I want to illustrate from this Sunday school story that we often overlook. How many times did God enact a rescue plan that required building a massive vessel 450 feet long? Once. What do we learn from this? Building a giant boat is what God required of Noah to find salvation for his family. There are some basic elements that we all need to have in our relationship with Jesus Christ. But just because there are some basic elements doesn't mean that that's the only requirement that God will ask of you. So if you're here today and you're hearing this and you have a walk with Christ and there's something in your prayer time or there's something in your own Bible reading time, something you've heard preached in the last few weeks or even months that's beginning to tug on your heart and God is drawing you towards something more and he's asking you to do something else, I implore you today to listen to that. Because he doesn't ask all of us to build arcs in the physical sense. But he does require different things from different people at different times. Not all of us need the same thing in order to find salvation. Hear me clearly. We do all need to repent and be baptized. We do all need his spirit. I'm going beyond that. There are other things in our lives that God may recognize. You know what? That's not good for you. You know what? That's going to hurt you down the road. You can't see it yet, but I know where that's going. You know what? That's going to cause an allergic reaction in your spirit if you continue down this path. This is going to harm you more than you realize. And so I'm asking you to step away from that. Or maybe God is speaking to you and he's saying, come this way a little more. Talk to me more. I I I need you to spend more time with me. I need you to do this. And it's all for our benefit. God doesn't require the exact same thing from everyone, but he does require and he does expect our obedience. Ark building is serious commitment, but building an ark will save your family. Ark building's a lot of work, and it's hard to do, and it may cost you everything, and it may take years and years and years to implement, but it'll save your family. Ark building means you got to give up your time from other things. Noah couldn't be a part-time ark builder. It took all of his effort and all of his energy. 
And God may be calling you to something. That means you've got to lay down something else in order to accomplish it. And maybe what you're laying down isn't even wrong. He's just saying, I need you to stop focusing there. And I need you to start walking this way and doing this. But I have good things planned for you. I have a rescue plan to save you and your family. But you've got to commit. I need you to listen to what I'm asking you to do. One more scripture before we turn to a time of prayer. At the end of Genesis chapter 6, last verse, what I find the most fascinating verse in all of this, not the instructions, not the huge boat, not the decades-long project that God enacted, but in Genesis 6.22, watch Noah's response to what God asked him. And so Noah did everything exactly as God had commanded him. What is God asking you to do today? My brothers and sisters, my church family, Newark UPC, collectively we know what we need to do to be saved. But then individually, beyond that, what kind of ark is God calling you to? What kind of building project in your spirit has he been dealing with you? What is God asking you to come towards? Is there something today that you need to lay down? Or maybe something that you need to pick up? God's an all-in God. He says, me and nothing else. I will save you. I'll rescue you. I have good things for you. But I come first and you serve me alone. Ark building takes serious commitment. But what price is worth our salvation? And as you stand with me today, we can leave here not condemned, but with a word of encouragement, recognizing that God has a plan for our lives. He didn't tell Noah, I'm going to destroy everything. I'm done. I like you, but tough. No, he said, I'm going to rescue you. You listen to me. You walk with me. So I have good things in store for you. And today, he has good things in store for us. But it takes commitment. And so for the next few minutes, whether you decide to come down here or it's in your pews, I encourage all of us to spend a little time in prayer and do some introspection today. Do some self-checking and ask our Heavenly Father, what are you asking of me what kind of building project in my spirit is it that you're working on? God, as I come to you today, what kind of commitment are you calling me to? What is it that I need to do in order to find salvation for me, for my family? Yes, Jesus, we thank you, Lord. Heavenly Father.